When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's not about the corner office. It's not about the fancy title. It's not even about the extra money. Responsible leadership is about taking care of those who choose to follow you, and that care takes on many forms. This podcast is dedicated to bringing you the best guests with the best advice to help you succeed in that endeavor. The Responsible Leadership Podcast is a production of The Leadership Phalanx. To find out more about me and what I do, visit leadershipphalanx.com. That's leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. And now, on to today's show. All right, listeners, hello and welcome to this episode of the Responsible Leadership Podcast. I've got a great guest for you today. Vidya Dinamani. Vidya, thanks for being with us today. Oh, so happy to be here, Earl. Oh, I'm I'm excited to to finally get to have this conversation. We've we've had a couple of uh, hiccups on our way to getting this thing uh, scheduled, and and I am just ecstatic to to finally get to have this sit down with you. And and, and listeners, uh, what I want you to know is Vidya is the co-founder of Product Rebels, where she exercises her passion for coaching product leaders and teams. She has over 18 years of experience specializing in strategy, innovation, product development, design, and management. She has held multiple executive roles at leading companies, including Intuit and Mitchell International. She's also a co-author of a book titled Groundwork, Get Better at Making Better Products, which she co-authored with uh, Heather Samarin. Um, and we're going to talk about groundwork a little bit as, as kind of the backdrop for our discussion today. But before we get into that, I want to start you off where I start off all of my guests. When you hear the term responsible leadership, what does that mean to you? It's <laughs> such a, throw me in the deep end straight away, Earl. <laughs> um, so when I think of responsible leadership, and I, I think this will set the tone perhaps for this conversation, it might be a little bit different. When I think about responsible leadership, it really is responsibility to the people that you serve. And I come from a product background. Um, Everything, all the the clients that I serve are products, um, whether they're software products, hardware products, online apps, but they're serving a customer. They're serving someone who has paid money in order to have their need met. So I think it's so important from a leadership perspective to to set the tone, to always put your customer first, to have a deep appreciation and understanding of who that customer is, and then set the tone for the rest of the organization so that they understand who it is that they serve, what they need, and that you're always making decisions with that customer in mind. So that's sort of in a nutshell is how I think about responsible leadership. 
Yeah, well, I, and I like it, you know, because I, I get a lot of entrepreneurs on here, self-described C-suite executives, but I just know because of, of the show title and because of my background and some of the other guests I've had on here, I get a lot of veterans on here that are, are veteran entrepreneurs uh, that that are really looking at, you know, how can I make a good product with a purpose? And that's one of the reasons why, um, I, I really kind of liked this idea of, of focusing on a better product and, and a better product that can tie in with some type of social cause, right? Mm, because, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of, a lot of our veteran entrepreneurs out there, they, they really want to tie in, you know, obviously the veteran suicide epidemic is, is a huge piece, uh, mm. to, to our community. Uh, but I like the subtitle of the book, get better at making better products because, you know, if you're making a better product, you can better serve some of those social justice causes, whether it is, you know, veteran suicide epidemic, whether it is, you know, uh, Black Lives Matters or any of these other movements, right? Absolutely. You know, it's interesting that, that you bring up that angle because what we found, and, and I'll start more generically and then I'll focus more on, you know, having that mission, that purpose, that vision to what you want to do. So many products so many people who build these, they come up with a great idea. And a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of innovators, you know, it might be something that you've experienced. It might be a problem that that you've had and you can see a better way. And you can see that there's a solution that doesn't exist in the marketplace. And so much of the time, this idea, this entrepreneurship, this, this innovation comes from that observation. It comes from someone who sees what the gap is, and then they jump onto it. It's a great place to start. And I think so many incredible products and services have come from from that kernel of like that aha moment. But what happens is if you get stuck there, if you get stuck with, I've got this idea and I've got the solution, and then you go down that path without thinking more broadly and engaging the actual people who will use your product, that falls apart. And so moving this sort of back, we've seen this over and over again, which is really why we put groundwork together, because there's some basic principles to keep you on track for thinking about how do I serve a customer and not just get totally in love with my idea and and I want to bring it to life. And then you sort of, you know, do all this work and, and you build this product and you use all these resources and then you announce it, you kind of do this big ta-da to the world and then nobody buys it. And you're sitting there kind of going, why? Why did this happen? Like, And then people pour money into marketing. They pour money into trying to persuade people that their product is a good idea. And, and the root cause is really this focus on you've got to listen to your customer. So, so kind of connecting that now to the social cause and, and the, the mission and the purpose you know, it's so important, I think, to to have a bigger vision, to have a bigger purpose, especially when you're serving others. But it's also equally easy to think that that you have all the answers, that your vision, that your mission, that your purpose is is all encompassing. And so, so no matter what, no matter if it's a product or service or if it's a bigger need, a social justice, something that you're trying to solve, and you talked about veterans, and I think such an important part of, you know, 
preventing and helping sort of our veterans succeed after they've they've served um, the country. But but maybe you're a veteran and you think you know, but you still need to reach out to others. You still need to listen and to exercise some really deep empathy and understanding the broader set of problems, understanding what people truly need and not just being connected and focused on the initial idea that you have. So I know that was sort of sort of a lot. So I just want to kind of like summarize to say, start with your ideas, start with the, the purpose that you have, but immediately start testing your ideas, start talking to the people who will use your products and services and let them guide you and, and sort of break <laughs> that connection, um, that sort of falling in love with your idea and your solution, the quicker and earlier that you can break that dependence, the more that will truly serve the customers that, that will use our products and services. <laughs> so yeah. hopefully that made sense, Earl. <laughs> no, it, it 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 really did. And so in the in the book, in in part one, laying you, you talk about laying the groundwork, and you talk about something called a a convergent problem statement. Yeah, is that kind of what you were talking about there? Yeah. So what we do is um, we have this really very specific templated way of describing the problem that you're seeing, and so a lot of the time people talk in the language of features. They talk in solutions. Right? People are always trying to sort of sell. If you think about the products and services that, that media um, sends us messages on, people are telling us about the benefits. They're telling us about you know, the, the various sort of different features that, that this product or service has. And what we ask our founders, our entrepreneurs, and I can tell you we work with a lot of startups, but we also work with really big companies multinational people who have you know hundreds of thousands literally hundreds of thousands of people working for them and we and we say exactly the same thing which is you want to start by describing what the problem is and it's never one problem none of us as human beings ever have one single problem even in a really specific space um and 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 let's talk about an example um, let's just talk about, for example, you know, you want to be able to I'll do something really simple. Um, you want to be able to think about a, a cup holder that you want to be able to go to work. You want to have a cup. You want to be able to put it in your car um, because we want to be able to sort of, you know, we have long commutes. We want to be able to sort of drink something along the way. But here's the thing. We might think, OK, wonderful. Everyone got this problem. I'm going to go design this wonderful cup. But what you want to hear and understand is, well, who are you serving? What, what problem do they have? Do they want to be able to have hot drinks, cold drinks? Um, do they have a family? Um, what kinds of sort of material is going to go into this? Like how big should the straw be? These are all sort of like details. But if you don't understand who you're serving, if you don't understand who is going to use this product and what are the, all the other challenges they're facing in their day, um, what time in the morning are they going to pick it up on the way, on the road? Are they going to make something at home? All of these, understanding the, the situation that your customer is in, understanding the experience that they have, understanding who they are. You know, maybe they're, you know, they're in a wheelchair. Maybe they have to have a special accommodation to be able to, to use um, certain types of material. 
we need to understand the bigger situation. We need to think about all the different problems that they might experience. And what we do is we call this divergent thinking. We say, don't start with a single first problem that you hear, but step back and take a look at their world. Take a look at all the different problems that they're experiencing and only then start narrowing down or start converging on the most important problem that they have that you can solve well and that people are willing to pay for. So that little magic trio of thinking about it broadly, finding the most important problem, then connecting it to something that you have the resources, the experience, the information, the ability to bring to the world, and the third piece is a willingness to pay so that the, the customer actually, it's a big enough problem for them that they're willing to pay you for it. If we can get those three things together and through our convergent problem statement, we go into who is this person? What are they trying to do? What's the situation? How are they trying to feel? Why haven't they solved this before? What's the root cause of this problem. So we take you step by step to really think about like the problem. You can do this in multiple times with multiple different problems. And then you narrow, you choose and you focus on the most important problem. That first step allows you to very quickly uh, leverage your resources, leverage your thinking, um, the money that you're spending building this product on the most important thing to do. And that's why it's called a convergent problem statement. I know it's a mouthful, but we found this process of going broad and then narrowing in allows us to really focus on the most important thing to do. Well, I, and no, I love that 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 whole thought process because one of the things I talk about a lot uh, with the leadership phalanx and as as we're talking about you know the shields is I really hone in on organizations putting to use cognitive diversity, mm. you know, that, that, that whole diversity of thought that most organizations have already, but but they don't really do a good job of leveraging it. And and I love the example that you shared there about the cup holder, because as you were sharing that, the thing that popped into my mind was this whole, you know, the, the plastic straws and, and paper straws. And, mm. and as you were mentioning materials, because I was I was thinking like, I'm a big proponent of, of doing away with plastic straws. But, and there's always a but somewhere, right? I'm one of those people that I, I just can't use paper straws because of the texture. Like it, mm -hmm. it, it makes my mouth like it just doesn't feel good. But then I was at another store and, and they had a different type. It was like, a, I want to say the person said it was like a, some type of algae based hmm. uh, straw, but it had a more plastic feel to it mm. and it felt natural. I'm like, okay, now this is the thing that is going to, you know, for people like me that are, that have that, that mouth feel repulsion to a paper straw, this is going to move that needle even more uh, on, on this issue. And, and, and you have to really be thinking about all of those aspects because, you know, not everybody is, it's not that people don't support your cause. We have people out there who are on the autism spectrum that have, you know, yes. sensitivity to yes. certain materials. And and so I like the idea that you bring that piece into it. That you have to 
have kind of this full spectrum thinking mentality when you're thinking about your products because you know that that's the time to do it right so I, I I love that you gave that example because it's it's and it's also I'm just going to segue into the actionable persona, which is the second piece, because what you described is is so important. The people that you are serving and you gave the description of yourself, which is like, I really want to be more environmentally responsible. I really don't want to use plastic. But the alternative right now isn't something that that I can handle. And if I was going to serve you really understanding your need and then coming up with something that you feel great about using that it has a great mouthfeel if it's reusable even better if you feel okay about it being disposable um, because you know that it's going to naturally decompose and so forth you're going to have a, a happy customer that I'm serving specifically you but it's very different from say, you know, when you talked about someone who's on the spectrum, who it's got to be a really specific type of feel. And maybe it's a size, maybe it's the packaging, maybe it's how you open it, you have to consider all of these things. So these are two different personas, you both have a need to have an alternative to a plastic straw. But the way that I market to you, the way that I talk to you, the way that I get you to consider this purchase is going to be very different to the way I would talk to someone or package something or put the, I'm going to, I'm going to label things differently. Maybe the colors that I use are going to be very specific, but I'm thinking of two very different types of people or personas. And if you think about the world of straws, there are so many different ones. And one of the common problems that we see is that a lot of these folks that create products paint us into big, broad strokes, and they lump us all into people who want alternative straws. And so when you do that, and you don't really understand the nuance of how I'm thinking about this, what my specific needs are, what I actually want to do with the straw, um, what I'd like to do after I use it. I mean, some people might feel really strongly that they want to always have a reusable and they're willing to, you know, take the time and 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 um, be able to wash it and, 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 and will have a certain set on hand. Whereas others are like, no, disposable is important. I just don't want to impact the environment. I want something that actually is compostable. And so two very different needs. It might actually end up being a similar product but you've got to think about the people who use them very, very differently. You market them, you talk to them, you build them, you engineer your product specifically with one persona or person in mind. And when you do that, you find that you've got a great product market fit. And a lot of the time that word is thrown around. Um, people are always saying, and they, when, when I, I spend a lot of time advising companies, and the thing that they want to get to as quickly as possible and as cheaply as possible is product market fit. But they do, their behavior is that they're trying to serve as many customers in the beginning as possible. And so what they end up doing is diluting the experience for any single person. And then they can't market, they can't spend their dollars wisely targeting a specific segment because what they've done is build a product that they think works for everyone. 
So it's a little counterintuitive, but if you can get, and I use this term a lot, uncomfortably narrow, if you can get really specific, and again, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick on you, Earl, but if we can say it's everybody who is hates the hates the feel of paper straws, but really wants to use an alternative, that's the group of people that, that we're going after. Then I'm gonna talk to you, I'm gonna talk to people like you who have the same disposition. And now I'm going to be able to go, where do you shop? Um, where are you looking? What kind of messages are going to resonate with you? Um, is there a specific set of sizes? Maybe you want small to big in a certain set, but I'm really going to understand who you are, what you need, and then all my work, all my attention, all my focus is going to be around my understanding of you. And so I start uncomfortably narrow, but now that I've solved your problem really well, I've solved it beautifully. You love my product. You tell everyone what a wonderful product this is. So now I've got someone who's sort of is, is promoting my product without me asking because I've done such a good job meeting their need. Now I can move to who's the next group that I'm going to serve. And I keep doing that. And when you start by understanding the core customer, and then you can grow, that's how you've understood you've got product market fit, because I've got a clear need that's been met with a customer who loves my product. That's product market fit. Mm, I like that. I like that a lot. Because it, it and, and I just used this example a, a couple of podcasts ago, but it was, it was, um, it, it was. I'm a big fan of Malcolm Gladwell, mm. and 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 I love that you use the, the the product market fit there because he he gave an example in one of his TED talks, uh, and he used coffee, and 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 I love the example that he gave during the talk. I think it was his talk on spaghetti sauce, but he kind of went into coffee and he says, you know, if you ask 100 people what they want in a coffee, the vast majority of people are going to respond. I want a rich, dark, hearty roast because <laughs> that's what all the marketing tells you. My coffee is better. I have a rich, dark, hearty roast by my coffee. It's better. It's a rich, dark, hearty roast. So people are conditioned that that's what they want out of a coffee. When you give those same hundred people a rich, dark, hearty roast, the first thing that most of those people are going to do is going to add a lot of milk and a lot of sugar <laughs> to it because what they really want is a milky, sugary, caffeinated drink. Mm. And so I, I like your approach there because you're getting to what the person really wants versus what maybe marketing has conditioned them to think that they want, right? Absolutely. And it's interesting because when you do ask the question, a lot of the time uh, people feel like they've done some customer research. They feel like they've, you know, we, I often get, oh, but I talked to my customer. I, I did that. And what we find is you're asked leading questions, just like the great example that you gave. You know, if you ask someone something that you expect to hear, they're probably going to feed it back to you. So there's a real art in being able to be completely objective um, to, you know, and, and one of my friends um, actually says, you know, what you want to do is, is you want to hate on your product. <laughs> so <laughs> you want to find those things that are wrong. So you ask open-ended questions instead of saying, what do you want in a coffee? You're like, tell me, tell me what you do when, you know, when you get up in the morning, 
And they might say, um, well, the first thing I do is I put my coffee pot on. And so then you'll say, well, talk me through what you do. Um, just, you know, how do you do it? What do you reach for? Um, so you're really trying to get the experience. And then if you do that, what you're going to do is understand the fact that they do add all this milk and sugar. Um, then you can ask them for their shopping habits. There's something fun that we do that, that I learned way back in my Intuit days um, called uh, follow me home. And I, I know that sounds kind of, kind of creepy, right? But, <laughs> <laughs> but we actually used to ask permission. We just didn't randomly stalk people, but we would follow people into their homes and, you know, watch them shop. And people, you know, you get so much more when you watch someone do something versus them telling you about it. So ideally, you know, we say, you know, would you mind if I showed up at your house first thing in the morning and you can just show me how you make a cup of coffee? And so now you just sit there and you observe, like, what do they do? What do they reach for? You know, how are they positioned? Where is it in their kitchen? Um, what kind of machine is it? You know, are they putting the half and half and, and the sweeteners in? Um, and so just watching that is going to give you so much insight. Then if you say, can I go to the to the um, grocery store with you take a look what do they look for how are they picking these coffees when they take something off the shelf um, are they shopping around is it price um, is it those different sort of like wonderful sort of messages around sort of hearty and strong um, is it something around something new and again if you just watch someone you get so much better insight and it allows you to sort of understand real behavior because people will often tell you what they think you want to hear. And they're doing this because, you know, we're all trying, we all night, you know, fundamentally, we're trying to be nice to each other. We never want to hurt each other's feelings, especially if you're in a research, you don't want to tell someone that the, this this product sucks. <laughs> so I'm like, I hope I'm allowed to say that. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, they want to be able to say, well, you know, they'll find things that they like about it. So if you give permission, and if you give permission to say, um, I'm I'm going to hate on this product. If you say, oh gosh, like it's not very good right now. I really need your help in making it better. So please tell me things that are wrong with it because this will really allow me to improve. Um, I often start like that because then you've given people the permission to tell you the real truth. And so, you know, I, I know that there was, there was several things in there. So asking these open-ended questions, really thinking about observing behavior, and then giving people permission to tell you the truth. These three things will give you incredible insight when you're doing customer research. Mm. No, I love that. I love that. And I think that's, uh, that is a great point to, uh, uh, to let's take a quick commercial break here and we'll continue that conversation on the other side. How does that sound? Sounds wonderful. All right, listeners, we are back to continue the conversation with Vidya Dinamani. Um, beforehand, we were talking about, you know, some uh, great product research techniques. And Vidya was was giving us kind of a master class there. And I, I absolutely love that. Um, but listeners, the one thing I really want you to key on here 
And, and I really liked the, the piece about permission to kind of quote, hate on the product there. Um, because the, the one thing that I'm hoping that my, my entrepreneurs and my leaners are, are picking up here is, you know, leadership is a product, right? And, and you got to do all these same things with your leadership, right? And, and the only way you're going to become a better leader is if you do all these same things, right? People need to give you the feedback. People need to be able to tell you the things that you're doing wrong uh, or maybe not necessarily doing wrong, but not doing as well as a leader. But yeah, sure, the things you're doing wrong as well. Um, so as we're going through this conversation, I really want you to think about that is, yes, we're talking about the, maybe the products that you physically produce, but I want you to really think about your leadership as a product, how you lead the people uh, that are producing the products that your organization send out to your customers. Uh, because all of these same things that, that video are talking about here uh, for making a better T-shirt, for making better coffee, for making better straws, they, they really do apply to your leadership as well. Um, and, and kind of on that note, and I'll, I'll tell you this, because one of the things when I read your the, the title, the kind of the subtitle to Groundwork, Get Better at Making Better Products, and then saw that you, you worked for Intuit, um, you know, one of the things that took me back is in the tech field is I'll never forget. I still think it's one of the funniest lines in a movie ever. Um, Tron Legacy. Um, <laughs> and in the beginning of the movie, have you seen the movie? You are like, I, I vaguely remember it. Keep, keep talking. I, I okay, barely so, will. So you, you, you might know exactly what I'm talking about. So at the beginning, I can't even remember the name of the company, but they're doing this thing that was fairly obvious, kind of like a Microsoft uh, knockoff that was supposed to be like the evil company, but they're getting ready to roll out what was the next version of their software. And, and the, the person sitting at the, the, the boardroom table that was supposed to be, you know, kind of the, the still the true believer that the company stood for something. He asked the question, he's like, well, what improvements did you make in the software package this year, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, the kind of stereotypical, like, evil corporate muckety-muck was like, well, this year, we put a 12 on the box. <laughs> right? <It's> like, <laughs> so, but, you know, I think that's the thing, right, is a lot of times an organization feels like they, they have to make some type of change maybe even when they don't have a change to roll out. So they feel like they have to find something just to signal that, hey, we're not stale. So maybe just putting a 12 on the box is the thing we need to do to signal that we're making improvement. And that maybe is not always the right move, is it? You know, it's it's so funny that you you say that because I think this momentum for, for growth and showing that you've constantly changed is – you know, it, it's such a strong one, right? It's such a strong impulse to feel like we've got to show that something is always happening. And and I really love what you said about the leadership piece in the beginning, which is you're setting the tone as a leader, and you know, and especially kind of given your specific focus here on on responsible leadership. I think some of the things in terms of setting that tone, in terms of serving your customer, is is going along and watching some of this customer behavior it, I think it's sometimes very easy to to when you've got a big team um, and, and small teams as well is to you know a lot of these tasks are delegated and, and rightfully so but the leader in my opinion just needs to always show 
that they're close to the customer. And, and the ways that you can do that is, you know, tag along to one of these research sessions, show up. Um, I still remember, this is, this is really going a long way back, but the CEO, um, and at the time that the company um, at Intuit was probably about $3 billion. So this is, this is a significant company, like I think it was five or 6,000 people. The CEO would come in and watch customers with us. Whenever he came down to, to, to do his tours, he would every single time would build in customer visits. And that set the tone that set the tone that the customer was most important, that, that other things could wait, but the prioritization to, to show up and to be sitting next to you know, the, the leader who is paying attention, who's asking questions, who's listening, and is so engaged in terms of truly understanding. And then they, by showing that they're close, it gives permission for every single other person in the organization to do exactly the same thing. So it's not delegated to a small group of people, whether it's your developer, perhaps you do have a, a product person, um, maybe you have a designer, depending on the type of product or service that, that you are working on. It's not just their job. I think as a leader, and especially as a responsible leader, showing up to those critical points does so much more in terms of showing what's important versus just telling people that that the customer is most important. So I think I think I diverted a little bit, but I really wanted to bring it back um, to what you opened up this the second part of the the conversation with Earl, which is I think that really is a responsibility that every leader has to act in the way that you are telling other people is important to do. Yeah, no, and, and and I I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, because it's it's that's what I always and, and I really like that you brought it back to that because that is an important piece to to not really just gloss over because you know one of the things that I always like to try to drive home is is you can't just say it you you do you have to act it because if you say one thing and then you go do the other thing it doesn't matter what you said it matters what you do. Exactly. Um, People remember that, right? People remember yeah. what you do and right. how they felt when you did it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I think it was my Angelou that said that, right? I think so. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, but it, and it is important and whether it is your, your, your team or, or the people consuming your product. I mean, how many times have we seen that, right? We've seen great companies with great products that have violated that customer trust mm -hmm. and that organization has, has went away, mm -hmm. right? There, there's mm -hmm. not many products that can stand the test of violating customer trust, right? That's exactly right. And it's so hard to, to reclaim that trust. I mean, it's funny when you said that, and this is probably sort of a very um, simple and, and more probably fun example, but, um, and I'm going to date us again. You said Tron, I'm going to talk about new Coke, um, yeah. When that product came out, I mean, I think all of us, um, for those of us who, you know, were Coke versus Pepsi, were like, what is this? And what have you done? What, why have you messed with this? And I think they very quickly listened and they very quickly shelved it. And they, they put out the apologies. They talked about what they'd done. They acknowledged the mistake that they'd made because if they hadn't, you know, we could argue that that product might not be around anymore because they messed with something that customers really cared about. But that I think we all make mistakes. I think it's the listening. It's the responsible. It's it's the responding 
and it's that authentic like you know we 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 screwed up and yeah. you know let's let's do something about this i think that's so important as well because you're right those products that didn't do that are no longer around well, yeah well and that's a great example right I, there was a piece of uh of of communication that came out uh a few years after that uh again malcolm gladwell in his book blink mentions mm-hmm. it uh, that, that said that uh, after market research, that new Coke was the surest product rollout that has ever happened. <laughs> right. And like you said, new Coke was on the shelves. What? It was like a month before they were pulling it back and putting old Coke classic back on the shelves. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And they had to relabel it right now. It's classic because people didn't trust the, the new Coke anymore. Yeah. Uh, no, that's, that is a great example. Yeah. It's uh, so yeah, folks. Uh, and, and there's a lot of great documentaries on, on Netflix and on history channel about that. So the folks who don't remember the cola wars, <laughs> go watch a couple of those shows and, and, and you'll see exactly what video is talking about because it was, it was real. Um, and, but again, going back to your giving yourself permission to, to kind of, uh, knock on, on your own product. That was where the Coke Pepsi challenge kind of came in, uh, was after that. And and Pepsi put themselves out there to challenge Coke head on and and risk that people would choose Coke over Pepsi. Uh, so that was a, that was another great marketing scheme that kind of came out of, out of that era. So it's uh, fun. I've, I've heard, um, I haven't been to this, but if anyone is in New York, um, I've heard there is now a museum of failure, which um, showcases failed products and services um, from all around the world. And I think that that's it's such a unique sort of look into. We always hear about the success stories, and we're inspired by those six stories, success stories. But I also think that so much of innovation does end up on the cutting room floor. There's so many ideas that we test. There's so many ideas that know seem to be really promising but but don't end up anywhere and so i think it's a really interesting take and i think we can learn as much from well why did this fail and what did they do about it and and what happened there so for anyone in new york apparently this is this is a cool new museum Hmm. that's interesting i'm not in new york i'm not anywhere close to new york but i i I actually kind of want to go visit and check that out now because (laughs) I mean, there, there is, there's so much that can be learned from, from those failures and, and more importantly, how people respond to them. Um, you know, the old cliche is, uh, you're, you're not failing, you're learning, right? Well, um, uh, cliches are cliche because there's a lot of truth to them, right? Exactly uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they may get annoying to hear, but there's still truth to them. Absolutely. Um, well, one of the other things I wanted to talk about here real quick and kind of going back to the book, um, the, the idea, because later on you talk about getting commitment. And mm. as I was reading that, I was I was uh, reminded of a story I heard about Intel, actually. They, they had a policy called disagree but commit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, you've heard about this, uh, I take it, I right? have. We used it. You know, and if you, um, we, we also, we had a little chart that said if you disagree and don't commit, and it's like a little four by four, but disagree is is encouraged but at the end of the day no matter what you think get on the get on get on board so yes please keep going but i have 
Well, yeah, no. Uh, so, I mean, again, I, I'm, I'm so I, I'm glad uh, that that you know you you've seen this in action because I've I've not talked to anybody who's actually operated under that. It sounds like a great idea. I mean, it's kind of what we did in the military to to an extent. We didn't call it that, but it was you know you were expected to you know have say your piece, get your disagreements out. But you know the the worst thing you could do is go say you know, hey, Sergeant such and such said we were going to do this. I don't agree with it whatsoever, mm-hmm. but we're going to do it because the sergeant said so, okay? Mm-hmm. Because you undercut everything that yes. you kill everything right then and there, right? That's exactly right. We had the, the worst category, I believe, was, um, you know, agree but don't commit because what you're saying and what you're doing, I think the example they gave, and we actually call those people terrorists, because yep. they undermine everything that the organization and the leadership is trying to do. So there's a healthy debate. And so getting commitment is really about how do you engage with all the right people? How do you think about all the connections? Um, we, we often have this, um, I bring a lot of design thinking into the work that we do. And there's one technique called a stakeholder map. And in, that's a really simple way of saying, Think about, just step back and think about everyone that that is going to be impacted by a decision or by something that that you want to um, make go forward. And then think about the loose and sort of more uh, strong connections between them, but really paint a complete map. And it could be internal, it could be partners, it could be suppliers, you know, just everybody who's involved in your ecosystem and then have a communications plan. It could be super simple. It could just be a quick email that goes out to inform. Um, for those people who are going to be impacted in a way that their job changes, you owe it to them to sit down and talk about what that looks like. And so for every single person, if you can think about that, then what you've done is you're building that commitment along the way. You want to have those discussions. You want to hear all the the negative statements, why it might not work, what's getting in the way. That's all part of a really healthy debate. And at the end of it, what you've done is you've listened, you've addressed all the different challenges, and you're going back and making sure that you've got the commitment to go forward. So it takes a lot of time. I mean, I know this process sounds hard. Um, It is. Um, It is time consuming. You've got to put a lot of thought into it. You've got to put the extra time with the people who need it. But doing that map, thinking about how they're impacted, exercising that empathy, exercising the, how would I feel if I was in that position? And then working through a plan that they agree with, that's how you get that commitment. That's how really amazing things happen with organizations when everybody's on the same page and facing the same direction. And and that might be another um, military, I'm, and I'm not um, in a position to, to give those examples, but but I think of it that way. When a really great campaign happens, you've, everyone understands their role, understands what they need to do, understands the purpose and the vision of where they're going, and they're equipped to be able to do their part in it. And that's what success looks like. Yeah. No, you nailed it. I mean, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. And the leaders that can do that the best are the ones that see the most success and and, and that we we remember, uh, you know, those are the folks that we, we still tell stories about to, to this day. Um, so, you know, that, that is the that is outstanding. Uh, 
Well, Vidya, uh, we have been talking here for a little over 40 minutes uh, now, and it has just been fantastic. Time has flown by. Um, is there anything that you want to leave listeners with that we didn't get a chance to touch on before we get out of here? Um, I think we covered so much, Earl. I, I, I would just leave with one last little piece, which is we talked about problems and we talked about customers right in the beginning. And mm-hmm. I just want to share that one of the things that that we often also do is acknowledge that there's lots and lots of person problem pairs. And to think about this, we call it individualized needs in the book. And it's it's a little bit of a nuanced idea. But when when you're thinking about this and if someone is listening and going, but I've got lots of different customers and I've got lots of different problems, is if you can try and pair them up and you can really sort of like give one most important problem to a customer segment, that really allows you to prioritize your resources. It helps you think about what's most important for your team to be working on. And it also honors the let's serve a specific customer at a time and not try to blend them together. So I, you know, didn't want to end up with something too nuanced, but I really wanted to make sure because I'm sure there's people thinking there's lots and lots of things I can do. There's lots of people I can serve and we should absolutely do that. But try and pair the problem and the persona together. And that will that just really helps in our experience make really good, durable decisions. So that's the thing I wanted to end with, Earl. <laughs> Thank you. Ah, yeah, no, that is that is great. That is absolutely great. And, and again, folks, uh, the book that we've been using is, is a lot of background for our discussion here is Groundwork, Get Better at Making Better Products. And I want to take a second here to just really say, go grab a copy. The book's been out for, for a little bit now, right at a couple years. Um, I love the way it's laid out. It's, it's laid out in, in parts and, and the chapters, uh, each have, um, uh, pieces where we talk about groundwork in action. Uh, we talk about practice in action, uh, and, and share some real world examples of, of what is laid out in the chapter. So it's really nicely laid out, very easy to follow. And I highly recommend grabbing a copy of Groundwork, Get Better at Making Better Products, and add that to your bookshelf because there's a lot of valuable information. We didn't even we didn't even really scratch the surface on what this book contains. There's just so much great information in there. Um, and on that note, Vidya, if people want to find out more about you, what you're doing, uh, they want to find a copy of the book. Um what, what's a good place for them to go look for those things? Thank you so much, all for your kind words. Um, you can get the book on Amazon. Um, we also have, if you're interested, we have a lot of templates that we talked about um, in, the, in the last 40 minutes or so. You can download them for free on productgroundwork.com. Um, you can find more about us at productrebels.com. And um, I really hope you you enjoy the book and, and, and enjoy using the templates. Thank you for letting me share that. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and uh, you know, the, they may be kind words, but they're true words. So folks, go grab a copy there. Um, and again, Vidya, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for doing the work. Thank you for getting this information out there. Uh, thank you for, for, you know, sticking this out and, and all of the, uh, the hurdles and hiccups that we've had getting this scheduled. Uh, uh, this has been a great conversation. I just want to thank you for doing everything you're doing, 
uh, doing the work you're doing, making the impact you're making on the world, and being an outstanding guest on this episode of the Responsible Leadership Podcast. Thank you so much, Earl. This has just been so fun. I can't believe the time has, has flown by and you're so delightful to talk with. And thank you for the important work that you're doing just in 250 plus episodes. It's absolutely incredible. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Well, all right, folks, there you have it. Another great show about responsible leadership. I really appreciate you listening. And if you have any feedback for me, please reach out at earl at leadershipphalanx.com. That's E-A-R-L at leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. Thank you for rating, reviewing, subscribing, and sharing the show so these messages can spread further and make a bigger impact. With that, I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. Welcome to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonize your mind, body, and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together, we explore vibrations, frequencies, and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress, and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today. Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on Electricast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. Electricast.